just stay humble. Sim simple as that. To be fair, stage managers know everything, even what you did last night. Hello, and welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast. Sponsored by Harlequin Floors, world leader in floors, stage systems, and studio equipment for the performing arts. The Theatre Art Life podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Ana Aguilera. And my name is Anna Rob. On this episode, we are talking all things stage management with Igor Kobolev. Igor takes us on a journey of his humble roots as a vinyl-loving boy from Moldova to landing his first dream job working with Circus Lane. Based in the United Arab Emirates, Igor has had extensive exposure to a variety of clients from diverse backgrounds in the areas of events and project management. Hi, Igor. Welcome. Hi, ladies. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining the Theatre Art Life podcast. We want to start with uh, telling our audience where you are exactly right now and what you're doing. Um, in lovely Jeddah. I've been working on um, a quick, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a hybrid. It's not an event, it's not in a show, but it is a show called Fusion by Cirque du Soleil. We've been here since the beginning of April. I uh, had about three weeks of pre-production and now we're in operation phase where we... We premiered on the 2nd of May and um, we're going to be running the show till about 20, till 28th of May. Friday, Saturday, weekends, two shows a day and the rest would be one, one show day with one day off. So pretty, pretty good run. Yeah. And how's the audience in Jeddah enjoying the uh, show? It's something else. Honestly, when, when we premiered and we had, um, I think, the capacity of the venue, uh, since we kind of, we use half of it as the audience seating and another half is the back of the house. So I think we're limited to about uh, 2,500 people. And I think that the maximum that we got is 2,350 at this stage. And uh, they're loving it. I've never seen or heard the artist like absorb that much energy. So uh, it's 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 really fun to I th I think like you get goosebumps even like I'm not on stage I'm backstage right we're just hiding behind the curtain that we open and close but you you get you get the sense of it you know and it's uh, it's lovely I think that the the crowd here is I don't know it's it's something similar to you know the first Cirque show that you watch or the first, that, that, that very, very first entertainment uh, that you indulge yourself in, you know, and for different individuals, it's, uh, it can be different age, right? So for, for some of us, we're blessed with it and we're doing it in the early days, you know, when our parents take us to circus or to watch a movie, but in this region, you know, like Saudi opened up only a few years ago, so I'm sure I'm sure they're they're loving it, and we can hear it. We can definitely hear it. That's for sure. I was actually going to ask if you could tell us where Jeddah is in the world in the map and what makes crowds so special, or why are reacting like so. Well, Sa Saudi is uh, is a special region, right? Uh, Saudi Arabia. It is based in the Middle East. Their main religion is Islam. Riyadh is the capital of Saudi Arabia, and Jeddah is closer to the Red Sea. 
So it's not as humid. It's still hot. And uh, things have been uh, changing in the region for the last couple of years, you know. It's not mandatory for... It's my first time in Saudi. I've worked in Qatar before. I've been in Dubai for 12 years. So I think that things are were ch- started changing when uh, King Salman came to power and he allowed women to remove hijab, to drive the cars. Uh, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of women are uh, in the government as well. Yes, yeah, Saudis, I, th- I think a lot of countries where, let's say, Australia or US or even, even Dubai, you know, the entertainment has been there for quite some time. And here they're just opening up the doors for it. And uh, I think that Cirque had quite a few contracts here and uh, all of them were greeted quite warmly. So, Yeah, because there was um, film was banned in Saudi Arabia. Cinemas were banned in Saudi Arabia for like how many? Over 35 years, I think. And it was only in um, 2018 that they started showing films in the cinema again. So that's kind of landscape. That's like a massive milestone and I was there the day that women were allowed to drive that was a trip so (laughs) it's a a great it's a very great evolving city so it's good and so if we rewind a little bit how how did you personally get into this industry your interstage management and the pathway to now working for Cirque? Oh do you want a long version or a short version? We'll take the short's fine It all started, my first job as a stage manager was through through Event Lab. Um, it's an agency based in Dubai, and um, I'm really close with uh, Nadim and Murad. And I still I think that Nadim was always the person that, that looked out for me. And uh, he put my name forward for a show called The Bang that was produced by Showtime Entertainment Production in Dubai Parks in... Um, I think it was 20, 2016, if I'm not mistaken. So that was my first gig as a, as a stage manager. And then I stayed with Showtime Entertainment Production uh, for, as a stage manager for a season in Global Village. But it was completely different. You know, it was uh, the name of the show was Speed Chase Action. And uh, there was a lot of uh, stunt cars involved uh, Drifting, um, FMX, uh, 360 backspins, uh, a lot of uh, fighting and stunts. So it was a spicy little cracker. And then you just, from there, you became a stage manager and that was it? No, I mean, what happened happened was that was the beginning of the journey. And um, as I was closing that season, I got a call for for an interview for, for La Pearl as assistant stage manager uh, for the pre-production phase. And uh, this is where it all uh, picked up and uh, everything got um, picked up a notch, let's say. And it was the first residential show in Dubai. And um, that's where things started happening pretty quick. And uh, I was blessed with uh, an A-team, which... Uh, Maybe I took uh, for granted for uh, a little while. But yeah, I worked with a lot of uh, great individuals. Uh, Philip Schlechter was uh, our GSM, and uh, we had we had a wonderful team. Miguel was a part of this podcast. Dane Evan worked with him. Janet, 
So from the pre-production phase where I worked directly for Dragon, I got offered a full-time position to join the operations. Four years later, I moved on to Expo. And from there, got this gig with Cirque, with Jorge and Dane. So I know Jorge, yeah. He's been on our podcast as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Question, how, what was the Dubai, Dubai Expo experience like? What what did, I, I mean, there was lots of stage managers in, in working on Expo throughout those six months. What what was that like and, and what was your day-to-day? The, the Expo was, uh, there were so many things going on. And uh, I was uh, contracted by Artists in Motion that were in charge of the projection in Al Wasl Plaza. And um, we had... We had mainly uh, night shows, you know, um, because the projection can only work when the sun goes down. So from 6.30 onwards, it was us. We had um, underwater show. We had puppet show, uh, interactive, uh, just to name a few. So um, I think we were one of the first companies that were on site and uh, working in Dubai outside in June, July, August with uh, humidity levels uh, that are skyrocketing and you know, by the end, uh, at the end, at the end of the shift, when when you're done with whatever it was, a ten-hour day, a twelve-hour day, an eight-hour day, depending on how lucky you are, when you enter into the the exhibition hall, you know, only then you realize that you might want to change your t-shirt, most probably, and uh, have a nice long shower <laughs> when you're back home. You know. <laughs> everybody sweated their body weight of water out every day (laughs) you you gotta hydrate you gotta hydrate you know (laughs) you've mentioned not during the interview but before in previous conversations we've had the influence uh, that your parents had in your upbringing and how that led into stage management at least characteristics that i would at times say that are very you, for example, like like you're the master of time, like stage managers are, but you, like nothing escapes you pretty much. I, I was actually reflecting on it a couple of days back when I was doing a little prep for this interview and I had no idea, like when you look back at it, we are who we are because our parents had a significant impact on us uh, being raised the way they raised us. So I just realized that, you know, like my, I was supposed to be, initially I was supposed to be a third generation of an army man because my grandfather, he went through the second world war. My dad, he went through um, Afghan war when USSR went there and I was supposed to be the third one, but um, something went the right way let's say and here i am entertaining people instead uh so i guess that the time keep keeping and uh, like those little like attention to details um so i think i got it from him and uh the sense that artistic flair or the artistic side of things i got it from my mom because uh, she would look after us and uh, there was always this gentle touch that I think transformed into into something bigger, which I wasn't aware, you know. But I think that the, the parents um, definitely, they, they definitely have an impact on every individual. It's just that if we have time to reflect and uh, sit back and look at it, you know, maybe, maybe some people will, will, will find similarities. 
for, for me, uh, it, it worked out. If you asked me 15 years ago, Igor, you're going to be in Jeddah and you're going to be giving this interview for Theater Art Live, I would tell you that. No, no way. But looking back at it now, you know, and my father contributed to the fact that I'm good on timekeeping and my mom was um, just, just um, if we rewind a little bit as well, I used to work in, um, in a shop called uh, Terra Nova and um, my mom would always um, invest her time in in the style, the way, because uh, just for a little bit of context, back in the day when USSR broke, it's um, it was definitely an experience, and people had no idea how to dress themselves, and uh, there was always this perception of like of an individual coming from USSR, and I think that my the generation that was right behind me uh, that that w- were our parents, you know, they. Um, they were on the forefront of when the things were changing. I think that I've managed to catch the wave with the way that uh, my mom would treat us uh, with the music taste, with the little vinyl player that, that she used to play for me when I was young, you know. So I think it makes a difference. And uh, I'm, I'm really fortunate to have, to have uh, my parents that contributed to this, you know. Amazing. And what was your, like, you, you started, you grew up in Moldova, and how did you, what was the impetus to move to the Middle East? What was the catalyst for you to go to that part of the world to work? Well, um, from Moldova, I moved to Kazakhstan for six months, and then from there I moved to Moscow. And initially I came from FMB background, so um, I remember, like, I worked all my life pretty much. So when I was graduating from high school, I was doing the courses for a bartender um, and a waiter. And um, so I was in that field for quite some time. And um, I don't know if anyone heard or not, but uh, there used to be, and still is, there's um, this Japanese restaurant called Nobu. It's a Japanese Peruvian fusion. Uh, they were opening up um, a branch in uh, Moscow. They're everywhere, yeah. They're everywhere, and they're doing the hotels now, and they're doing pretty good. So what what happened was that the general manager f- from Nobu Dubai he uh, he visited us because uh, I was a part of the pre-opening of Nobu Moscow, and he just told me that if ever you want to you want to move to Dubai. You speak English, you speak Russian, you know, um, just drop me a line. And I felt like uh, 2010 was uh, the right time. So moved moved to Dubai, worked uh, in Nobu Dubai for a um, couple of years, then moved um, to another position uh, with a coffee shop called Edo. We used to sell mochi. It's a Japanese dessert uh, cake with like a sticky rice. I'm sure you uh, you have quite a yes, few mochi. Hong Kong. Yep. <laughs> and then, um, so um, we have an area called Kite Beach in Dubai. And I used to train there from 6.30 in the morning till uh, 7.30 in the morning. Ian Spendlov, the owner of Showforce, uh, used to train there as well. Ian has a company called Showforce and uh, they have branches in um, in Dubai, in UK. Uh, we used to have an office in Qatar. And when, when I've lost my job selling mochi, Ian was like, why don't you try events? 
I think that um, you have a great opportunity. Come work for me and we'll see how that unfolds. That's the story. That's how I got on events. I love that evolution. That's such a great <laughs> roundabout way to get into the industry. But, you know, all of the things that you've done before, obviously, are, you know, skill sets that can be applied in the event realm, you know, service oper- you know, service orientated and attention to detail and all of these things that you've probably built up over time apply in the event world as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. And now a moment for our sponsor. The Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by Harlequin. Harlequin is the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Established in the UK over 40 years ago, Harlequin is the preferred performance floor for the world's most prestigious dance and performing arts companies, theatres and schools. From the Royal Opera House to the Bolshoi Theatre, the New York City Ballet to the Royal New Zealand Ballet. Harlequin's experience and reputation are founded on the development, manufacture and supply of a range of high-quality sprung and vinyl floors specifically designed for dance and the performing arts. Backed by an engineering team and independent research, Harlequin also designs, builds and refurbishes stages working with stage engineers and theatre consultants in leading venues across the world. Harlequin is the global leader in its field with offices in Europe, the Americas and Asia-Pacific. Find out more at harlequinfloors.com, H-A-R-L-E-Q-U-I-N floors.com. But I also think it's very interesting from, uh, like, to me, maybe a complete outsider, but coming from a country, like a growing up in a country that's growing up and coming out to a world that's completely crazy and the West being the West as it is, and then Dubai also being like a baby country, I don't know, it's like a lot of exposure to different things in changing paradigm. And um, I don't know, your resilience must be like up there to be able to adapt to so many cultures, so many people, so many changes. Well, to to be fair, in the, the first, I think that the first six months, six to 12 months were the hardest because um, you need to adjust and I couldn't but different nationalities have different uh, even sense of humor so uh, like if, if you're working with uh, with the guys from the US it can be one thing if you're working with Aussies they speak fluent sarcasm so you know <laughs> <laughs> that can be fun as well but um it took me some time to adjust uh, and just even understand the um, the language you know because uh it can be a you know US version or a UK version but no one teaches you a, an Australian version of English right it's not a part <laughs> of the curriculum so it, it 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 took me some time you know to 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 absorb all that and to kind of adjust. But it it was fun, you know, like uh, I think Nobu was, was definitely a bridge uh, to, to whatever I'm doing right now and their training. And uh, they were very patient, very diligent, and uh, it helped me a lot. I can tell you that for sure. What would you say that like, if people were, you know, a lot of people want to work internationally and work overseas and don't necessarily have a lot of exposure yet to working in cross-cultural communities. 
What, what would you say to somebody in terms of preparing themselves for that? Because sometimes that can be quite overwhelming in addition to taking a new job in a new country. How does one prepare for all of those cultural challenges and adaptations that need to be made? Oh, you, you stay humble. And we have a, we have a saying in Russian uh, that you don't come to someone else's church with your beliefs. So whenever you're in a different country, I think that if if you're respectful, let's let's take uh, Middle East, right? For example, I've been there for so long that every time um, I travel to any other country and I see people kissing, I just go, oh, "Hold on one second, like, well, what's what's going on here?" Because I'm so used to people not expressing their um, emotions, because um, in this culture, it's um, it's something that uh, people keep behind closed doors, and you have to respect that. So I would I would definitely suggest that every time you're um, it's it's all based on the geographical location, right? So if 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 it's a Muslim uh, country, it can be one set of uh, of rules. If it's in Europe, it can be um, a little bit relaxed or different, you know. And, and the list goes on based on the geographical location. So I would definitely suggest people to do a bit of research, you know, uh, stay humble. The, the locals here, for example, in Saudi, when I've asked the question, am, am I allowed to travel to Mecca, you know, just because it's a holy place and I'm really interested in it. And um, you can see that they were a little bit, they, they wanted me to go, right? But at the same time, they they know that me, me being not Muslim, they they kind of pointed me in the right direction, saying that, Igor, as much as we would love to take you there, uh, we cannot because you're not Muslim. And you have to respect that as well. So uh, just stay humble. Sim- simple as that. How does communication play a role in the way you adapt and interact with different cultures or what are your like hot tips and communication, I guess. If you can learn a few, um, a, a, a few Arabic, like again, and I'm, uh, I'm giving, I'm giving you an example because I'm based here. Right. But if you learn a few, uh, Arabic words, uh, it will, it will melt everyone's heart. If you, if you know that they just finished fasting, right. Let's say, and and I've done fasting myself for two years, you know, uh, because I wanted to uh, to know what are the individuals exposing themselves. Why is it that 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 they, their schedule completely change overnight, you know, and then they sleep during the day? And uh, when, for example, when when Muslims are done with their fasting and it's Eid, and uh, you wish a security guard here Eid Mubarak, you know that uh, that means a lot to them. In, in, in my opinion, you know, so just just be aware of uh, of the the culture that that you're exposed to. And how does it translate for you working with multicultural teams? Because that's like right now you're in Saudi working with a team that it's I don't know from all over. If it's an artist, you know, uh, you can you can you can always. Uh, find something that works for them, you know. When it's when it's a Japanese artist and you say arigato gozaimasu, you know, that that means like thank you very much. 
mm-hmm. they will appreciate that. And um, I get I get a lot of uh, responses from the artists uh, the minute that they know that I'm Russian in Russian. So it kind of works both ways. And um, I think that, um, yes, in th- there are times where um, English is not your first language and there can be small miscommunications um, or as, as such, you know, you just have to be patient. The, the artists, they, they, will, uh, they are always respectful. And uh, um, if, if you find that little key that works for them and uh, if you're capable of uh, breaking the ice by uh, communicating with them, and uh, I think it will make a difference. In terms of all the shows that you've done thus far, what's been the, most, what's been the standout show, your favourite project to have worked on? Can you pick one? Uh, Love Pearl. Love Pearl took me to the next level. I, I think that I wasn't I wasn't ready for that for it at that time, and uh, I think that due to the due to the team, and um, due to everything that we've been exposed to, and it was such a, a fast paced environment where you have to keep up. You know, it's it's creation. You know, everything is thrown at you. You either adjust uh, or or you're behind. You know, and you're trying to catch up. Being in an environment with all the great individuals uh, that I mentioned previously uh, definitely uh, put me to the next level. Not, 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 even, not even put me to the next level. It dragged me. It pulled me to the next level where I had no option. If, um, if you wanted to call the show, you had to go out of the comfort zone. You know, If you wanted to, uh, to be on that training during Globe of Death when you have five bikes, of course, the first time you call that training and you call for a, for a split uh, of the globe, you know, you, you, no, one, no one prepares you for that. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to fight with your own emotions. You have to talk to the, talk to the people and make sure that everything is uh, done in, in the right manner. And um, I, I had a great team that was very, very patient with me. Um, I'm still forever thankful to Philip Schlechter that gave me the opportunity and again broke the shell, took me out of it and said, we're going to go and call this show. So I think La Pro is, was definitely that um, there's not that many, uh, as much as Dubai is, um, it has a lot of great venues, you know, let it be Coca-Cola Arena, let it be Etihad Arena, but um, all, of, all of those venues, they come with, uh, with the shows that, are, that might be touring or events that might be touring that will bring their own team. So in, in a way, we're 50 years ahead, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that uh, you will get that level or that caliber of, of the individuals that, that are not touring, that are local. You know, but I think that now with uh, all the work that's that's been done by Event Lab for events like Expo, you know, it's it's definitely growing the profile of local freelancers as well, local show callers, local stage management, casting team, technical teams. It's um, it's putting everyone to the next level. You've clearly always stated that learning has been part of it, right? Like of being able to adapt. Is that something that you've always had in you, like this need to learn or will to learn? Or is that something that also came with, with life, I guess? With- I believe that uh, on every job, if you give 110% and uh, you're eager to, to learn, it can definitely take you places. And I'm one of the examples. So I, I did 
uh, unlike people who went to the to the school to learn stage management, I was just thrown into the deep end and learned everything on the job. Yes, giving one hundred ten percent is always there. Learning is always there. That's one of the tools, you know. It, because in the end of the day, you want to be like that good le- good leatherman, you know. You want to be a multi toolkit, you know. And I know that I hate Excel, but I have to do it so I can get. <laughs> Right. So if I need to sell my soul uh, to Devil or call Anna to do the Excel sheet for me, I'm sure she'll help me out. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> learning, learning is important. I think. I think for stage managers, Excel is one of those things that, like, it's so. It has so much capability and a stage manager and the amount that they use it will never master it. And so that's the frustration, right? Because you need to half use it and you need to know enough to tools to use it all the time, but you'll never master it. And it just doesn't fit well in the stage manager psyche that you can't have that just in your pocket. <laughs> I think that's why every, every stage manager has a love-hate relationship with Excel. <laughs> Oh, Excel also, is beautiful. I don't know what you're talking about. It's no, but gorgeous. also the, for, for all the, to remember how to do all the formulas and everything like that, you just have to be doing it regularly. And it's not part of the core function of our job. It's there as part of our routines, but it's not there as a core function. So I'm always there going, oh, I can't remember the formula. And everybody has their Excel go-to person. Like everybody has that person they call when they don't, can't remember what the formula is, I swear. <laughs> So is Anna that be you, Igor? Is she, is she your Excel help? Well, I, I have to admit, yes, there were a few occasions where <laughs> I, I pressed the Anna button. <laughs> <laughs> I had all forgotten about that, but yeah, happy. <laughs> so Igor, tell us what's your, what's your most favorite thing about being a stage manager? Interacting with uh, different nationalities, interacting with um, and let it be—it's both sides, right? It's not—we're we're, not—we're not limited to just interacting, or um, you know, some of the people can look at the stage managers and then they can say that, oh, it's like herding cats, you know, you're, you're giving all these calls, you're making sure that the cast is there. But uh, to be fair, the way I see it, um, the stage management is—it's like a bridge between the technical department and the artist and we're we're just one of one of the mechanism that that gets the things going you know so i i just believe that in order for you to be a good stage manager you know you need to have um, a bit of emotional intelligence you need to be good at the timekeeping uh, you need to have fun at the job you know because i had my I had my fair share of being a bad cop, you know, at La Perle, you know, so I was always that guy, you know, that would go out, you know, and if if you're late, you know, it's it, it will be noted, you know. And the scary part is that most probably I won't even approach you, you know, but I will make either a mental note or a physical, you know, and that's and then it's going to go into the report. But again, once when when you evolve and when you progress, you know, you kind of Sometimes you need to learn to close one eye, you know, sometimes you need to, you know, let things slide, you know, and be sensible about it. So there's there's this fine line where you navigate, you know, and it's and sometimes you have to be strict, sometimes you have to be gentle. Sometimes you have to, you know, to just 
coming from a Russian, it might sound weird, you know, but to hug someone if they had if they had a bad day, you know, there's no harm in that. It's interesting. The, the thing that I love about stage management is that it's not um, as much as we, we try to optimize it, but you won't be able to find a, a, a formula, you know, because in the team there, there's always uh, there's always someone who will who will be in charge of timekeeping, you know, um, and that kind of cascades down to the whole department. You know, there will always be someone that you that you click with, and then that individual will be taking care of certain cast groups, you know. And then there will always be someone who would be uh, a SpongeBob, you know, and he will he will know all the gossips because everyone will come and and you know cry on his or her shoulder, you know. And to be fair, stage managers know everything, even what you did last night. So let's let's be fair, you know. It's 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 you you can't put stage management in a box, you know, and 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 then go and hang hand out rules of engagement you know that will be from one to ten you know it it's it's it, it changes it changes from the from the gig it changes from the environment it changes from there there are a lot of variables to it so i would i would say you know just try not to go into that box and try to be flexible as much as you can and I've, I've, I mean, I, I've learned it, you know, I think I, I've started very harsh at times. And and then thanks to certain artists, thanks to my colleagues, you know, I, I think that um, the only way you can change the world is to start with yourself. He was going to change the world. <laughs> if you could change by starting before you start the world. What's one thing you would change about either your job or the industry? I think burnout and working yourself to the ground is a big part of the industry. And I think that it's something that people need to to speak up at times, you know. But again, there's a, there's a fine line, right? All of us are freelancers. Um, well, most of us are freelancers. And then if, if you're not freelancing you have a full-time day job, right? Which is, for example, running a show, right? So I think that event industry as such is, um, I think that people need to be aware of uh, burnout. And I know that there's this drive, you know, that that when you're heading towards that finish line, you know, you know that you're gonna you're gonna breathe out very soon. You're building it up, you know, you're you're creating the show, you're you're on the final strip. And, and you keep on running. And uh, one coffee a day is not enough anymore. And then you bump it up to two coffees a day. And then it goes to three coffees a day. And then uh, you reach situations when you run out of show blacks. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's, that's, that's. <laughs> I've only brought six T-shirts to Jeddah, you know. <laughs> and it's not enough. So... <laughs> <laughs> I, so I, I think that yeah, the, the the there there should be a balance, you know. There 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 should be a balance, and I think that the it's it's a tricky one, you know, because stage managers were in charge of the schedule, you know. But sometimes 
things change and you have to adapt. And yes, unfortunately, it will be long hours. Or unfortunately, yes, you have to reblock something last minute. Um, so I just want to, you know, share 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 uh, share the message with the rest of the world and with the rest of the SM community as such. You know, just if you feel like you're on the verge of burning out, you know, maybe you should take an extra day off, maybe if it's if it's possible, of course, or maybe you should have break. Uh, and I'm guilty of that. I'm I'm guilty of that because I went. Um, I finished the La Perle, uh, I finished La Perle on the 31st of May, and I went straight into Expo. I finished Expo and I went straight into this into the in, into this third gig, you know. So I would just reach out to everyone and say that just let's just try to balance it out when we can. Yeah, I think there is that tendency as a freelancer to just, you've got to take the next gig because you don't know when the next thing will come, right? And you don't want to negotiate necessarily a few days off in between because that might mean you don't get the contract. And I think also going back to your observation that it's such a malleable and evolving job that, that there's no set amount of tasks what tends to happen is you know that the more that you're around and the more that you're participatory in any part of the process, the better knowledge you have about the show holistically, right? So the tendencies for the stage manager to stay there from start to finish to make sure that it's all in their brain and in under their wing to, to be able to manage it effectively. And some point there needs to be some lines drawn so that you're not overextending yourself because the job never ends really when you're in that role. You have to decide where it ends. It's it's something that you have to set the boundaries on because nobody else is going to do it for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, m- my wife might start doing it for me, you know. <laughs> ah, yes. Family can, de- family can definitely do that for you. Is she with yeah. you in Jeddah too? No, 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 no. She's, uh, we just had a little one. Um, so we were blessed with, uh, we're blessed with a five month old Mickey. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And, um, she's, uh, she's, she started the countdown. I'm sure she's going to be listening to this, uh, little interview and, um, little shout out to the gorgeous wife. Ooh. I said it. <laughs> <laughs> and she's in Dubai. Yeah, yeah, she's she's based in Dubai. She um, she used to work for Emirates, but she was a part of the COVID COVID purge. So when they let go ten thousand people, Ugh. so the well. eagle has landed. <laughs> well, thank you, Igor. That was a wonderful uh, discussion on your career and your work, and I really appreciate your insights into working in the Middle East and uh, and and stage management in general. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. Theater at Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only $38 US per year. You can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com